I always just love to sit and chat, so that's what I'm going to do. Um, as mentioned, my name's Steph. If I haven't met you, hi, hello, welcome. Um, good to see you if you do know me. Love you all. Love to tell you that. Um, we're in this series at the moment, along with a bunch of other churches, doing Season of Creation, um, exploring creation in various different ways over the next four weeks. Uh, so this is week number two. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about um, how other parts of creation, so particularly lands, waters, animals, skies, birds, and more, wherever your brain takes you, uh, consistently and persistently praises and worships God uh, and what we can learn from other parts of creation as humans uh, as fellow parts of creation in how to worship and in how to praise. So that's where we're kind of going tonight. Uh, we're going to explore some Bible verses which talk about this. Um, there'll be a few points where I ask some questions just to break it up, have a little chat, you know, and make sure we're all awake again. Uh, and then we're going to end with a little bit of a reflection video. So that's kind of where we're going. And in exploring the ways that creation consistently praises the divine, uh, we're going to think about two things. What do we learn from God or faith, the divine life or parts from creation? What do we learn? And how does the way that creation and other parts of creation worship God, how can like us looking at other parts of creation actually inspire us or inform or shape the ways that we worship God as humans? So it's a little bit about learning. I think I entitled it Learning from Creation, the Most Consistent Worshippers. Love that smile, Georgia. Thank you. And that thumbs up. Um, my background into this conversation is I've done a lot of listening and learning over the years. I uh, am from an Irish Second Nations ancestry. Uh, and so for me, listening and learning from creation was quite foreign. I think in my tradition, uh, coming from quite a colonial, patriarchal, theological church upbringing. Uh, I was kind of taught that we like respected creation, we cared for creation, but we were still quite separate. Humans were still separate and there was a bit of a like hierarchy involved. Um, and so I think I'm coming into this with a bit of humility and I've learned a lot over and I'd love to invite other people to come into this with humility as well. Uh, and I did, I did a lot of this learning through my master's degree, uh, particularly through a space called NAITS, N-A-I-I-T-S, which is an indigenous learning community. Uh, I was very privileged and gifted to be able to do a couple of subjects through my master's through NAITS, uh, where I got to learn from indigenous theologians and from Aboriginal Christian elders. And one significant voice was this wonderful Mi'kmaq, which is spelt M-I apostrophe K, M-A-Q, Mi'kmaq, Native North American scholar called Uncle Terry LeBlanc. And I'm basically going to be sharing a bunch of his ideas and what the wisdom that he has shared with me and other parts of that community tonight. So I just want to acknowledge that these ideas are ones that I have learnt. They're not my own. Uh, and I've had to humbly learn them. Um, 
and it, it's been a beautiful spotlight into the Christian tradition and all the ways that these ideas are reflected in scripture. I was quite surprised at how blind I was to this idea until my eyes were opened. Um, so Uncle Terry LeBlanc reflects on this idea that the spirit and life of God, you know, as this trinity who is a relational being, so this kind of embodied spiritual God, uh, is relational and connected. In and of the God self, we have this being who is relational and connected. Uh, and that the purpose and design for all creation is to actually embody this same being. So to be relational and connected within the life of creation. Uh, so we reflect the creator. Uh, and what I really learned from Uncle Terry LeBlanc is that this divine spirituality and presence is actually often more and most consistently embodied by and reflected to us uh, as humans by the rest of creation. We're actually the worst at it and other parts of creation are better. So that's kind of like the, the lesson that I've learned. I want to share it with you tonight. Let's see how we, what you think. Um, I think I've put some quotes in here. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to share a lot. Uh, we're going to be reading and on the PowerPoint slides for a little bit. So, uh, and just exploring. And I'll ask you a few questions after we've delved in. In reflecting on the presence of God's spirit in creation, Reverend Dr. Terry LeBlanc says, we fail miserably to account for the work of the spirit, dare I say the gifts of the spirit, so abundantly evident in the rest of creation. It is in the rest of creation where we find the gifts of the spirit most manifest, or perhaps better put, most consistently manifested. We find this expression in the natural way of life, which creatures living in a more intuitive way with their creator tend to express. He kind of expands on this. In Genesis 1 and 2, the entirety of creation is described as primarily and inherently relational. This is because it is inherently spiritual. It's proceeding from the creative nature that we observe in the Trinitarian relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The spirit of the Trinity broods over the waters and is instilled in the rest of creation as life is given to it. Relationship with God is in the intent in the creation act. So there's animals, there's plant life, there's birds and there's fish, and they're all linked to their creator spiritually and intuitively. And it's an intu intuition that I would suggest is retained in the rest of creation, but which in humans has been supplanted by ego and ethnocentrism. Unlike humanity, the rest of creation lives in constant expression of the spirit and the intent of the creator, illustrating proper relationship and relatedness. And we see this so clearly and compellingly uh, in Job, which I'm going to bring up later. Um, so this idea, uh, do we all feel like I've kind of like smacked you in the face, like brought you, giving you some humble pie to eat? Um, so this created intense, like this spiritual overflow of relational re relationality and connectedness, that's who God is and it overflows into creation. Uh, and it's inherent in, in the way that we're meant to do life um, and that the rest of creation does it better than us. Those are some of the ideas. Um, this has some implications for our view of, so that's like if that's the ideal, so that's 
kind of the life of God and the embodiment of God, then if we think about the reverse of that, it kind of have, has implications for our views of sin, uh, as well as our view of like what what is God doing through salvation, uh, restoration. Uh, and so he kind of goes on and here's just one other quote that I'm going to give from this um, from this uh, journal article. The restoration of relationship and relatedness of all things by the Spirit, not simply human soul salvation. Um, so it's about all things, not just simply human soul salvation. For humanity, relational intimacy with the one who made them is subjected to distorted yearnings for transcendence and meaning. Sorry, this is a very like big theological language. I've just put it in here and then you can just let it slip by you if it doesn't do anything because we'll, we'll continue. Punctuated regularly by an idolatry that misrepresents the intended relationship between humankind, the creator and the rest of creation. So this punctuated broken relationships, this is the curse all of creation, and Paul emphatically notes in Romans 8.22, not simply human beings is subjected to its effect. So if all of life being relational and connected is the goal of God, like, and that's the embodiment of God and that all parts of creation, that then has implications for our view of like, what is God doing in the world? Where are we moving? That actually this curse that has happened and the ways that humans fault and uh, fall and have sin it's not just impacting us, it's impacting everyone and all life. That's what's that kind of like the idea that's going on there. Uh, so we see in Romans 8.22 that like the whole of creation is groaning because of this. Um, one last theological note, and then I'm going to move into like some just splices of um, scripture, but this is kind of like the chunkiest theological part of it, and then we're moving into lighter stuff, just a heads up. Um Basically, he kind of points out that when we've studied the spirit and the spirit of God, which is this uh, theological uh, realm known as pneumatology, who's heard of pneumatology before? Actually, you definitely have heard of pneumatology. You're like a pneumatologist. Is that a word? Is pneumatologist a word? It is now. Uh, if you want to talk pneumatology and study of the Holy Spirit, talk to Sarah. Yeah. Um, so this study of the Holy Spirit basically has rarely ever focused on the Spirit of God being active in and through creation, uh, yet the best example of how created beings can live in right relationship with the Creator is arguably seen most clearly in the interdependency of creation's order under and praise of its Creator. Has anyone seen Fantastic Fungi? the movie on Netflix. Does anyone know about the root system of uh, plants? What do you know about the root system of plants? Anyone, just throw out random things. They talk to each other. Anything else? So interconnected, it's crazy. Okay, your plants start because of root rot. So roots are essential to life, great. Um, I know that they like share resources, so it's not a selfish thing where a tree will be like, oh, here's water for me and just me. They'll actually like share around the resources. Um, but I just think like that's one example of this, this kind of like, 
I mean, we could talk about a whole bunch of examples and I am actually going to ask you what are the lessons that we learn. But that's something for me that when I learn about how, sh how trees, like actually they talk to each other, they're connected like crazy, they share their resources. I'm like, that's a lesson about how humans are meant to do life and how we're not doing that too well. Um, some of us are. But it's, it's a lesson that's there. And I think that's the point that um, Terry LeBlanc is make, making is like, here is these beautiful parts of our world that are consistently um, reflecting God and the life of God in ways that we can learn from. Um, I wanted to do a little foray into the Bible. Is that the right word? We're going to do a little foray into the Bible as to where we see these ideas in Scripture. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to bang on through these, I think. So in Job, in the book of Job, for those who don't know Job, it's a wisdom book. Basically, Job uh, has some horrible things happen to him at the start of the book. Uh, and, you know, there, there are all kinds of debates and reasonings from the, from the wise men around him as to, like, why this is happening, what do we learn from God? And yet we see that maybe one of the greatest lessons to learn is from somewhere else. But ask the animals and they will teach you, the birds of the air, and they will tell you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. That's in Job 12, 7, 9. Uh, in the Psalms, the earth has a voice which praises God. Psalm 65, 12, the pastures of the wilderness shout for joy. The hills gird themselves with rejoicing. Gird is a great word. Psalm 66, 4, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims God's handiwork. Psalm 97, 5 to 6, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all peoples see her glory. Uh, and then we get this apocalyptic metaphor in the end times, um, which depicts all parts of creation praising God. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. When I first went into the foray of scripture passages, this blew my mind how consistently this idea is in the scriptures. Has anyone else had that experience where they're like, whoa, this is, there's a lot in here about how creation praises God. Anyone else had that experience of having their mind blown? A couple of nods. Who is like experiencing that moment now? Yeah, great. Cool. Yep. Love that. Um, we're going to keep going. Scripture also teaches us that creation slash nature is important in, in learning how to be faithful. So Jesus himself goes to the wilderness to connect with God after he'd, uh, in Matthew 14, 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Luke 5, 16, yet he frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Uh, the Psalms also have this idea of learning from creation in, um, you know, in how to be faithful, how to follow God. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I lift up my eyes to, to the mountains to find that. Uh, Psalm 72.3, the mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. Um, so this... 
this idea that we learn so much from creation. Um, I don't know, that just let it sink in. Um, I want to ask you a question about what do you learn from creation. Uh, I want you to think specifically what is a lesson you have learnt from nature? And we kind of had a bit of a chat about that last week, about some of these things that we learn from nature. Um, but I want you to think specifically, what is a lesson you have learnt from nature that has taught you something either about God, about life, the world, faith? Has it reminded you of something that you needed to be reminded of at some point? Um, but just have a little think about something that you've learnt from somewhere else in creation. Um, have a chat if you feel comfortable with the person next to you or the person around you. Take a couple of minutes or just uh, do it to yourself if you don't want to partake in the chats. So take a couple of minutes, have a chat to the person next to you, have a think, uh, and then we'll share back. How, I'm interested to know, was it an easy, who thought it was pretty easy to think about a lesson that you've learned from creation? Who was like struggling a little bit? Yeah. Um, are there any that you want to share? Lessons that you've learnt? Things that you've learnt about God? What has creation taught you? I'd love to hear a couple of little snippets if you're happy to share. Um, I mean, for the first, so for me, the first that came, the thing that came to mind was like looking at the diversity of creation. Like, there's just so many different types of things, and there's not really any like r real reason why they just are. And I guess that just makes me think of how big God is. Yeah. Um, I think of water. Um, so, like, on the one hand, you've got the ocean, which is, like, vast and wild and raging and just the depth and the the scale is, you know, beyond our comprehension and all this sort of thing. But then in water you also have the drip, this, like, slow, incessant, constant sort of thing and soft over time that's wearing away, you know, the rock and everything like that. And it's like water is both of these things and God is both of these things as well and it's like seeing just the the different all of these different things that is true of who god is yeah thanks for sharing yes, uh, similar to chris what he was saying um just the gratuitous diversity that's out there i often think god could have made the world gray and tasteless like that that would have been a very viable creation and quite simple um but into there's every color and colors that we can't even see that are just in there because they are um and for me that's epitomized in bees um like just the the wild things are out there about bees but what blew me was someone asked me one time how much a bee how much honey a bee makes in its lifetime which i thought was a, like a large amount maybe you know a ton um, but no, it's like the size of a, a little pinky full of honey. Um, and that's it. But they've just been going for millions of years because God was like, this is cool. Um, and that's just how God works. Thanks for sharing.
It's a fact about bees I didn't know. Were you going to share? Well, um, Sarah did have some profound thoughts, but I just think God has a great sense of humor. <laughs> like, and there's so much like diversity and like crazy stuff. You think, well, what was the point? A bit like, you know, a bee just can produce this tiny little thing. And so I just think we can just relax and enjoy it a bit more, not feel like it's all utility based. It's like something in it for just like celebrating diversity, you know? How's that? Um, I was living in Sweden like three years ago and I, I remember how much the lack of sun affected me. And like, it was really real and I needed to take vitamin D. And like, uh, at some point, like now I, I learned something about it because like you take for granted that, that it's up there. And when you don't have it, it's like your body starts feeling weird. And it's like, that's something that is like, I need now. Like sometimes I feel like weird. It's like, maybe I should go outside and just lay on the sun. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I'm learning to appreciate the sun with La Nina as well. Like, oh, gosh, ruining my life. Um, I was just thinking about as a kid, I used to collect crystals and rocks, like fun rocks, not boring rocks. Um, and I guess it's like this twofold feeling of uh, like pressure and wearing down over time that creates these beautiful images and these beautiful stones. And at the same time, some of the most beautiful things God keeps hidden and waits for us to discover ourselves. Um, I just really, really love that. that Sometimes God just puts things when no one else can see them just because they're pretty and just because they know they're there. I really like that. Profound and beautiful. Any last sharing points? I've lost my computer. Give me a moment. Um, is someone happy to read... Read a Bible verse for us. Um, I just wanted to read Psalm 148, um, which just says a lot about praise that's invited from God from other parts of creation, uh, and humans are just a small part of it. Anyone happy to read this? Great. Thanks, Heathcliff. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise them in the heights. Praise them, all their angels, praise them, all his hosts. Praise her, sun and moon, praise her, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for God commanded, and they were created. And God established them forever and ever. She gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. 
Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. God has raised up a horn for her people. Praise for all her saints, for the people of Israel who are near to her. Thank you. I feel like it was just like humans got tacked on at the end a little bit. Um, This is me just like forcing everyone to eat humble pie with me. How are we going? (laughs) Is everyone's ego intact? (laughs) Um, So thinking a little bit about how um, if we go back just to that first slide of that verse, um, what's in there? Sun and moon, shining stars, highest heavens, waters above. Um, Next one. Sea creatures and all the deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock creeping through, creeping things and flying birds. All those things, praising the Lord, worshipping God. Um just want to let that sit for a moment. Creeping things even. I once saw an art installation just down the road at Annandale Creative Arts Centre, which had, um, you know, the stained glass windows that are often in churches. Uh, but there was one with insects on it and it had just a cockroach in the middle of a stained glass window, which was meant to convey this this kind of like appreciation for creation that was like quite confronting. I was like, that is so hard Um, that our brains, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, just let that sit with you. But I think um, the second set of questions that I want us to think about, which depending on how comfortable you are, depending on how much you've reflected on this, might be more of a stretch. Um, But thinking about the ways that all these different parts of creation are just there being stars and suns and moons and um, being creatures and just doing their thing. How does the way creation worships God inspire, inform or shape our worship of God as humans? This might be a stretch to think about. If it is, I just kind of want us to go there and see if we can see what we come up with, come up with. In what ways do other parts of creation praise God that might teach us how to worship as humans? I just want to sit and think about that. It might be a stretch, but see how you go. Have a little reflect. What's our collective wisdom on this question? How does the way creation worships inspire us to worship as humans? Any reflections? Just saying that, like it should, like it's almost it should be as natural as breathing. Like it should just be like you, like you know, obviously, like we come together on a night like this, we like take time out of our lives and we like sing songs or whatever. But like that doesn't necessarily need to be all worship. It's like we can just start living our lives in a way that like is at peace with the spirit can be worship. Like it should be as natural as like trees do it. You know. Yeah. Is that relaxing? Yeah. Thanks for sharing.
Um, on in a similar vein um, to what you were saying, I think like two things that come out for me from learning about how nature worships. The first one is going that like all that we do is worship. You know, it's it's not just a thing that we do on Sunday. It's not just music and singing. It's like all of our life is is worship. Um, and, and seeing it as a holistic thing rather than a this is worship and this is not worship. It's a, all, all that we do and all of our life is, is worship to God. Um, but it's also going that like who we are is worship and who, how we have been created is worship. And so, you know, our existence and our presence in this world in itself is, is a form of worship and who we have been created to be is in itself a, a form of worship. If that makes sense, uh, yeah. Very much does make sense. Thanks for sharing. Any other points of wisdom from the crew? Something I find myself learning from creation, whether I be out in the ocean or sitting beside a river that's just constantly rippling over. The, um, the rocks within it, um, is creation has this presence of unapologetically existing as they're meant to be, but with a gentleness. And I feel like that has helped me um, embolden myself to exist as I am unapologetically in that moment, but humbly and gently and go, this is yours, go like celebrate what it is to exist. Um, and I feel when I'm in creation, it emboldens me to become a part of the symphony of all creation around me in that moment. And that feels freeing. And so I feel like they help me know that I'm a creative being and not worry about then all the complexity of the thought or expectations or social, like, social things going on. Just I am a being of life, created for life, to live in relationship. And so it helps me, um, yeah, find that place and that, that peace to sit in that. I love the threads of wisdom coming out of this. Hmm. Any other thoughts? I'm just bouncing off that to something that Raven talked about <clears throat> quite a lot last night in their show was that idea of not being confined to a box but being authentically who you are. And if you think about it, a bird, a beautiful bird or an animal just, as has been said, worship simply by being who they, fully who they or what they were created to be. So perhaps there's a sense to that. When we are free and able to be who fully who we are as a human being, who we're created to be, there's an element there that, that expresses most that worship to God, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, it just makes me think about like you know the creepy crawlies of the creation of just like there's stuff in creation that's not nice or like wouldn't be fun to do but it's still important anyway and it kind of leads on to that idea that you know everything we do has worth everything we do has value everything we do is important um, there's nothing that's less valuable work than another valuable work. Like everything builds towards the same creation and builds towards the same goal. 
yeah, I had in reflection on this was it seems that creation worships God by being what they're created to be, which has just come out in so many threads of that conversation. Um, I love the combined wisdom that we have in this community. Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, there's a sense of peace in that, isn't there? That is really beautiful, um, I find, a, a groundedness or something in there that is, um, yeah, quite profound. I wanted to finish with just a couple of final thoughts and then invite you to reflect via um, a little activity. Um, the final thing that I wanted to say is just about um, this for us, you know, as Second Nations people, if you're a Second Nations person, um, there is a particular need for us to learn this skill by listening to uh, First Nations people uh, and to listen to our particular lands and to learn here in the grounds where we are uh, the only way that we can do that is by listening to First Nations peoples. Um, and there's a beautiful couple of quotes from some Indigenous peoples reflecting on their own spirituality, their wisdom of these lands. Uh, the first is Garawai Yunapingu, who's a tribal elder of the Gumach people of northeast Arnhem Land, and they teach the goodness that is in the land, in the trees, in the water, in the rocks, in the beauty of the landscape and nature itself, enables us to breathe, live and enjoy. When you sit in your own country, your spirits lift and you are again truly back to the land where things make sense and your life has meaning. This is where I must be if I am to survive and prosper in this mixed up world. And Aboriginal woman Cynthia Rowan says, our spirituality is life-minded. It is life-minded not just in the sense of people's lives, it's in the lands, the birds, the trees, the rocks, the waterholes, mountains, and so on. There seems to be something really important in connecting here where we are uh, via the wisdom of our First Nations peoples. Um, and in like kind of tapping into that resource of, of connectedness of, uh, I think she said life-minded, which I love. It enables us to breathe, to live, to enjoy. Uh, this is an essential part of us uh, learning about God and connecting into that spirit uh, who is speaking wisdom, justice, righteousness, reconciliation, joy, all those things are there. Um, so there's a reminder there that we need to learn from um, the people who know it best. Um, and the final thing that I wanted to um, just bring in, and this is part of the exercise, is that um, in order for us to have the capability to connect and to connect with one another, and we kind of explored this through uh, trauma and the church, we actually need creation to do that. And Joel kind of touched on that last week about the necessity of creation. And so I wanted to invite us in as we think about tapping into this resource. Um, there's a, a research project that says that if you spend six minutes uh, looking at landscapes or looking at greenery or looking at creation, you are you move your nervous system 
from out of this red zone down into this green zone. And we see that like in the green zone is this capacity to connect. It's this capacity to be safe and mindful and present. Uh, and so six minutes of looking into nature and looking at creation actually allows us to be fully more alive and actually be part of that creational intent of like being that life of God, being in relationship. So that's what our activity is. We're going to spend six minutes looking at landscapes. Um, I'm going to invite you, you can put one hand on your chest and the other hand on your stomach and just do some breathing and take that in. Uh, if you're someone who finds it hard to sit still, don't feel like you have to stay here and do this, feel free to maybe like pull out a note on your phone and jot down some notes of some reflections or get up and um, maybe just like try not to disturb people. But we're going to spend six minutes uh, listening and learning from creation and inviting our nervous systems uh, to connect and be more grounded.